Anthony and I are good friends, and uh, I have always appreciated his curiosity and question asking and conversations. And he has uh, prompted me to see if we could capture some of these conversations and focus on some topics that might be of interest to other people. And I think that's the motivation for doing a video cast of some sort. Prompted you, more like begged you for years. <laughs> like, we got to record this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I don't know, I was thinking about this last night. The best way to quantify my role in this is like armchair philosopher. It's just like, <laughs> I have random thoughts. I, you know, as an educator at a, ch a children's science museum, um, I can make a lot of observation about human behavior. And in children, it's a bit, uh, even with, like, I feel like adults are like aware, too aware of their surroundings um, to an extent. To let's let's be clear about that. But children are a bit more natural, like no matter what the situation is, and so they prompt me to think a lot about um, metaphysical philosophy and uh, you know, kind of like human design. And so there's just all these questions that float into my head throughout the day that you happen to be the sounding board for <laughs> and uh, help me gain a little bit of clarity. And I've, you know, one thing that I've always hoped for with uh, the discussions that we have and, and this series um, is, you know, seeing the, asking these questions and then being able to make small changes in your life and in your behavior based on, you know, new inputs and so for me, this is more of like a learning experience. Like, how can we grow from the, the, the sense making that we have when we have these conversations? And I hope that we can, you know, share that with others and, and prompt them to, to also grow, just to, even if it's just a little bit. And I just want to say, uh, when we talk about having these conversations, it's not like uh, we sit around having uh, fancy debates and have prepared a whole lot of material. It is on the basketball court. It is playing video games. It's on a drive where uh, just a question arises and we can't help but talk about it and investigate it, often leading to a bunch of tangents not related to that question, but always enjoyable and always challenging. And that's, uh, for me, I um, really value being challenged. It, like you said, it's too easy to kind of get into a mode of resistance and do what you've always done. I think one of the values of, of our conversations is to remind us that life is philosophical or philosophically charged and that we can draw um, questions and answers from all aspects of our life. So that's that's kind of the goal for me is to kind of reveal how philosophy isn't a, an end-all answer. It's a process of living. It's a kind of uh, a way to live. This is enough about us. <laughs> enough about me. Uh, yeah. So um, the phrase, it is what it is, which I think is what we're calling this thing, um, is just, it's such an interesting phrase and it, it like empowers people and it defeats people. And I don't know, what what is your gut sense around that phrase? It is what it is. <laughs> uh, again, we've talked about it, so I'm going to try and expound again on stuff that uh, is a personal background. I came from a very uh, conservative, religious, evangelical family. It is what it is kind of, for me, mimics a lot of everything uh, works out to the good of those who uh, work out to the good of those. 
basically this idea that um, there's some kind of fatalism about reality that uh, you can't change the ultimate course of things and coming to accept it is better than than trying to fight against it. So for me, it entails a lot of resignation, a lot of um, you know complacency, I guess. So I have a kind of negative attitude towards the phrase. That being said, I have seen it be very um, psychologically helpful for people that are in difficult times. I've also suspected that it's been harmful for others who use it as a crutch and, and avoid confronting um, things that, that really are special challenges for each of us. So um, mixed feelings in general, I'm, I'm not a big fan of it. I uh, personally don't like the phrase at all um, because just like I think when people typically say it for them it's like a way to just move on from the situation like you know it is what it is let's just put this in the past and there's nothing we can do about what happened we can only change what's going forward and I guess from like a um this is going to sound weird, but from like a time standpoint, that's true, right? We are creatures of the present, so we can't change the past. But, um, and technically at the same time, we can't do anything in the future. Uh, so we can only deal with like the now. But to me, the whole point of the past is to like learn from, you know, learn from past instances things that just happened and change or evolve from that standpoint so you know saying it is what it is to me like disregards that ability to affect your own pathway and uh, so th that's kind of why i don't like it my boss likes to say it all the time she'll she'll kind of just laugh and say eh, it is what it is and then that's like the cue like okay let's just move on from here and uh <laughs> You know, especially now during COVID, I feel like saying it is what it is, is one of the most dangerous things that mm. we can say in a situation. Because it's like, it's like we're admitting that we have zero control over everything. But, you know, we're learning, I feel like on a second by second basis that we actually have way more control than we like to give ourselves. And that that control... Um, you know, is lost in decision making or whatever, but but that control is just like, um, sorry, I'm messing this up. I want to say that that you know we're kind of like absolving ourselves of past sins instead of like being like, hey, you know, we made these mistakes by doing these things. Let's fix this right now. And you shared an article with me. Uh, was it an article about that like military? Uh, commander who who really didn't like the phrase it is what it is oh it was uh, an entry uh, on a blog yeah okay would you be able to summarize that my memory is horrible actually no I wouldn't <laughs> it's been a couple weeks since I read it <laughs> uh, not, not to enough where I'd want to record myself saying what he said because I'm not sure I'd get it right um, okay I think I think you have the main points though that it kind of um, surrenders our agency and just allows us to, to um, allows the circumstances to be what they are and pretend that we have no accountability or responsibility for them. 
What's interesting, though, to hear us both be against that phrase and for those kinds of reasons is, as we'll discover probably in a lot of future episodes, our deep skepticism about free will. <laughs> uh, I think we both uh, want to believe in it so strongly, and we keep trying to find ways to justify it, and we talk and act as if there is such a thing, but whenever we get into our deep conversations, we start to become really skeptical. So I think that'll be interesting right. to play out as we continue these conversations. Yeah, there's two things that always happen. Is One is, uh, at least I start doubting that humanity has like any purpose in the universe other than just to like float along. <laughs> and, this, and, and the second thing is that uh, language breaks down at such a level that I can't even speak at a certain point. <laughs> <laughs> These are going to be great videos. A lot of talking where we just stammer and stutter. <laughs> <laughs> as we try to find the right phrasing because at some point you get so you have to be so specific in the words that you choose uh that otherwise you're just like uh articles and prepositions have no purpose <laughs> um so i i want to ask you this question we we didn't really talk too much about this um but as our love of basketball we hear this this one particular phrase all the time. I think we hear it is what it is enough, but I think the more common phrase, which to me is a really good analog, is uh, the NBA is a business. Yeah. You know, a player gets traded and their their reaction to that trade is, well, the NBA is a business. And that to me has a lot of like similarities between it is what it is. Yeah, I think that was a, a really good insight. Uh, and I kind of hope, I want to talk about that phrase, but I just kind of want to put this out as one of the reasons that it is what it is might be a theme of this uh, video cast is because I think there are analogs in a lot of parts of our conversations where at some point you resign to a situation uh, or you try to account for how we got to a, an unfavorable situation. And whatever phrases and justifications we use seem to boil back down to that idea. So I think you're right. This uh, NBA is a business kind of, uh, especially coming from players, uh, well, actually, let's take it from both perspectives, right? From players, it's resignation, right? It's like saying, uh, what can I do about it? You know, they, they pay my salaries, they tell me where to go, and I have to, I have to, I'm contractually obliged to do that, right? And so maybe there's a question about, uh, do we need more player empowerment? There is more empowerment now than there was in the past, but it is still ultimately a business, and only some players are empowered, others are not. But coming from uh, owners, uh, and, you know, and those that are making the trades and deals, it kind of, you know, it's kind of disrespectful, it seems like to me. It's a business. You know, you're not, we don't have to consider anything about your, your human life and your family and your particular circumstances because the only thing that matters is the bottom line, uh, which is actually double, right? We want championships and we want it to be profitable. And we have to balance the pursuit of those two things. You just, uh, a lightning, I don't know if you can even see it on the screen, but a lightning bolt literally just hit me. Uh, when you said that, you know, you broke it down in terms of power dynamic. And, like, I'm thinking about all the instances I've ever heard, it is what it is, or phrases like it. Um, and I feel like it does break down to power, right? You say that typically in a situation where you think you have no power. And... Um, so, like, from the owner's standpoint, it would be, it's super insensitive for an owner to say, 
you know, it is what it is. LeBron James. Uh, okay, here's a here's a weird situation. LeBron James leaves the Cleveland Cavaliers for the second time and goes to the Lakers, right? Um, and the owner in that case, I guess, is the person not in power because LeBron is leaving of his own free will. Maybe we don't even know if free will exists. Um, so you don't you don't hear LeBron James saying like the NBA is a business in that situation. He laid out clearly why he wanted to go to LA. He's like, I did what I had to do in Cleveland. And I want to have a good life for my family and I want, you know, to play for this franchise and I want to face it. I want to be at the beach every day of my life. (laughs) And, uh, you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers organization, uh, I guess, I don't know if I heard anybody in on the Cavs, like hierarchical side saying like it is what it is or the NBA is a business. Um, but you could feel this like attempt to grab power in their actions by, you know, like obviously thanking LeBron first and foremost for his service. And then two being like, you know, we're not worried about the players we don't have. We're focusing on the players we have. And so maybe all of that uh, language was mostly just like a way for them to like try and grab as much power in that situation as possible. Um, Whereas, you know, thinking back to LeBron James again with the leaving for the Miami heat, and I guess leaving the Miami Heat back for Cleveland, um, the Dan Gilbert in a power grab attempt, because he's typically a person who, let's face it, he's like a billionaire who has who's never in a situation where he has no power, uh, writes this like really stupid letter openly, <laughs> <laughs> blasting LeBron for his decisions, right? Yeah. So let me ask you a question. In that situation... Uh, would it have been, you know, acceptable to say it is what it is or the NBA is a business and just like leave it at <laughs> for LeBron to say it or for Gilbert? No, no, for Dan, for Dan Gilbert. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, because of his, um, the ferocity with which he attacked, uh, the decision, I think it would have been a weird move for him to try and then also act resigned and powerless about it. Um, but I think it probably did reflect the situation. Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> it's already happened. He's already left for Miami. So it is what it is. Right. It, and, uh, you know, the what players I feel like say it most frequently, and I don't want to drop this thread that you mentioned of uh, – you know, being insensitive coming from ownership, because if, if a, if an owner or GM treated a player, not quite LeBron's caliber, but let's say, um, uh, Kevin Love, you know, in that instance, uh, let's talk the Cleveland Cavaliers. So Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love and LeBron James, uh, playing on the same team at the same time. So LeBron definitely has the most power on the team in terms of a player standpoint. Kyrie becoming influential at this point in time, but we don't know the the true extent of his psyche yet, so uh, we can't really say exactly what's happening. Kevin Love perceived as a really high quality player, all star level player, um, and so and he probably was brought there to be like the second option as Kyrie came to power and probably very quickly became the third option, like almost immediately. Anyways, a player of his caliber gets traded. I feel like it would be super insensitive for like 
the GM to be like, you know, we brought in this play, this really great quality player, but the NBA is a business and then just like leave it at that. What in that scenario, how, how do you feel about, you know, that use of the phrase, especially from, you know, the power situation of the GM ownership standpoint? Yeah, I think that's right. I think that captures uh, what we've been saying that it does uh, it smacks of insensitivity when it's coming from the person in power. It's kind of like accept your situation. There's nothing you can do about it because I say there's nothing you can do about it. Whereas uh, from wow. the person who's uh, experiencing it, it might be a coping mechanism. We might dislike the implications. Um, and this, I've suggested this to you in the past that maybe when we hear it, even though it's not a cry for help, maybe we should hear it with ears for those that are in a, in a vulnerable situation. Like, is there something that needs to be reevaluated about how the NBA is as a business because it's human lives that are trafficked through these various uh, trades and mechanisms? Or is it something that because they voluntarily choose to play in, a, in something that's spread out over such space and, and requires constant transformation in order to remain interesting and, and competitive, uh, and they get paid a, a lot, like, are we saying that they are accepting the business aspect of it and so it's not vulnerability in the same kind of sense? Uh, what's, what's the balance there? I think um, to that point, um, I can't think of specific examples but you definitely hear players use the phrase. I mean, obviously, like around the trade deadline when they're, you know, when they have zero power over where they go except for a few players. Um, but in in talks about free agency, right, <clears throat> you'll hear players bring it up. And in that instance, it feels maybe like foreshadowing. Or, you know, it's like it definitely still has to do with um power dynamics but there's just i feel like there's just a little bit something more there because like um <clears throat> um i don't think kevin durant said anything to this effect when he was in that last year of golden state but pretty much everybody felt he was leaving golden state and probably for the new york area <clears throat> definitely for the knicks <laughs> um but i feel like i definitely read uh, or heard people like Draymond Green or Steph Curry say, you know, the NBA is a business as like an anything can happen kind of thing. Um, and in recent years, I mean, maybe this has always been the case, but at least in the time that I've been paying really careful attention to free agency and trade deadlines and that sort of thing, um, I feel like players really relish that free agency option as like they have more power. And it's their, uh, this is their time to be able to, like play the NBA's game back on the owners and back on the GMs. It's like you have no control where I'm going now. So right. it is what it is. <laughs> That's true. That is interesting that trade deadline versus free agency are two flip sides of that same transaction. Uh, I know we wanted to try and keep these short and I think we should keep talking, but just as a kind of uh, maybe an anecdote to, to wrap up this episode, um, <laughs> I think a, a, a key instance of this idea of, it is what it is, is when DeMarcus Cousins is at the All-Star game, right? He is one of the top 24 players in the league, being recognized and all his accolades for, for leading a, a pretty poor team in Sacramento. And as he's in front of the cameras with microphone in front of his face, his agent leans down into his ear, and all you see is, really? 
wow. <laughs> that to me was a, it is what it is because he just found out he got traded to the Pelicans. 